Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 231. Thank you for tuning in, guys. I moved this episode f- forward because the conversation was so enjoyable to me. Um, I'm joined this week by a hobbit, and I don't know what he plays in Star Wars. I was going to say a Jedi. I have no information on that. But someone who's in Star Wars and someone who was in Lost and someone who's been in loads of stuff that I absolutely adore, it's Dominic Monaghan. Yeah, I was delighted to make this one happen. We kind of held off for a bit. We've been talking about it for three years. Um, the timing seemed perfect. He had just been confirmed in Star Wars, and he was over starting to film Star Wars. If JJ or Dominic is checking in on this, or Nina Gold, who um, I adore, who cast me in Taboo, any of you are listening... I'm up for some Star Wars stuff down the line. Give me a shout. A big bearded Jedi. You know, I'd, I mean, I'd even make a good a Wookiee. You wouldn't need that much of a costume, but I'm, I'm six foot four, so I'm pretty tall. Um, anyway, I shouldn't be trying to get gigs. Um, <laughs> I'm distracted now. No, yeah, it's a fantastic conversation. He's an absolute dude it genuinely it's the first time we'd met properly face to face and it felt like catching up with an old friend it's always a good sign um before we jump into the podcast i should mention that this week's podcast is brought to you by speech records.com that's my record label um i gave dominic a record in this episode uh, i've got tons of stuff there i've got signed stuff i've got hoodies i've got all sorts of of exciting and wonderful things i've actually added i'm not sure if they will have sold out by the time this comes out but I've released two different lines of shoes over the years, collaborations with OHW Shoes. The first range sold out in pre-order. The second one's, you know, I went oh well too, but we made a lot more. Um, I found a load in my, in my studio. Genuinely, I found a load. So I've slung them up in the web store. Only 13 pairs or so in, in limited sizes. Um, so yeah, have a look. Um, but yes, beachdevelopmentrecords.com, head there. On with the podcast. Yeah, it was a wonderful chat. I moved this forward because of how exciting the conversation was. Because Dom talks about Star Wars stuff. And I know he's not talked about it anywhere else yet in great detail. So we get to that. But we also talk loads of Lord of the Rings stuff. We talk a lot of different things, to, to be completely honest. It's a really good conversation. I should mention as well, huge love to everyone who's been going crazy over last week's episode with um, Angel uh, Jifria. She's an amazing a, a woman. If you didn't hear that one, go back and, and check it out. She was the youngest person ever to get a prosthetic limb. So she's had a prosthetic arm since six months old. And her arm currently is one of the coolest bits of tech I've ever seen. She can fully move all the fingers, everything. It's mind-blowing. But she's also an actress who was in Hunger Games and The Accountant and numerous other things. And she's a psychologist and all sorts of stuff. So it's a really good conversation. So go and check that out. I recommend it highly. Previous guests, you might, if this is your first time here, you might want to check out the conversation I had with Martin Freeman, who was, of course, a hobbit. Uh, There's a link there. Simon Pegg, who's worked, who we, he's been on twice and we talk about numerous different things he's done with with jj abrams um who else would be relevant to this one um i've had loads of good people on uh, uh, riz ahmed was one of my early guests he obviously smashed it in 
in one of the Star Wars films. Loads of good guests. Other previous guests include Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy. Just, um, oh, we talk about Game of Thrones in this. I've had Lena Headey from Game of Thrones. And I've had John Bradley from Game of Thrones. So loads of good people to uh, to go and check out. So do so if you get a chance. That's all I'll say. Let's get on with the podcast because it's a great one. This is episode 231 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Dominic Monaghan. Right, I'm joined today by Dominic Monaghan. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How's it all going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In London for a, a yeah, I'm in an London for a little period, right? Little independent film. A little, um, a little film. Some of us have heard of. Yeah, uh, it's good, man. Uh, the last time I was in London was about six months ago. I love this city. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm from Manchester, so I grew up. Actually, grew up in Germany till I was about eleven. Yeah, but both my parents are Mancunian. They don't have any ill will at all to London, but I definitely grew up at a school and in a culture with a little bit of a chip yeah. on my shoulder about London. Naturally, naturally. You know, like, what's the big deal? Why Why is everyone banging on about it? Why does everyone make a big deal out of yeah. it? If my mates went down for a holiday, yeah. they'd be raving about it. And I'd think, well, why London? Why London? So and, I hadn't... And, and since going in and acting in, in America, you will have had everyone say, oh, do you you from London? Yeah, oh God, all the time. Do you live in London? Or, or that, anyone... The assumption that anyone yeah, yeah. who's English lives in or, London. Or anyone that's ever visited England, yeah. you know. I'm in London, you're about... I'm in, oh, where'd I'm you go, London? Six yeah. hours away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've been to England, where have you been? You've been to London? Yeah, yeah. you've been to London, right, okay. It's like, I mean, I understand it is England. It's like people yeah. saying, I've been to the States, where have you been? I've been to New York. Yeah. You're like, well, that's brilliant. New York's yeah. a fantastic city in the same way that London is. But, you know, Chicago's also the United States. I used States. to laugh at the whole... There was a thing in the UK for a long while when I was growing up that was like, 70% of Americans haven't even got a passport. Right. And I used to laugh at that. And then I toured America right. and saw that you can get every kind of... You know, they should, but still, it's not as dumb as it sounds because there's such v- v- variation oh, within America. Huge country. And there's people over here going, oh, some Americans haven't even got a passport and all they've done is had, had a holiday in Spain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like, You know, I've travelled. But yeah, in America it, there is that. It's a massive it's country. Fast. Some people are landlocked. Some people yeah. never see the coast in their own country. You yeah. know, I mean, that's something crazy, significant right? as well. So I, I did a trip to London when I was at school, when I was probably 12 or 13, you know, Tower of London, House of Parliament, all Classics. that kind of stuff. Liked it, but I was still with a bunch of Mancunian kids. So we were still like, it was still Man United versus Chelsea, Man yeah, United yeah, versus Arsenal. And then when I became an actor, I started to come down here probably twice a month, but between the ages of like 18 and 20. Yeah. I was probably averaging, yeah, once or twice a month. And yeah. it took me about five or six goes getting my head around the tube and working out little spots in London that I knew yeah. for me to kind of relent and go, oh, I get it. I get why it's one of the most incredible cities in it's, Europe. It's, it's the same everywhere, isn't it? It's that f- a familiarity. The first time I toured and, and hit LA, I hated LA. Right. And then I had some mates there and I fell in, like, it's, it's, my, it's my second home now. I love the place. But on that first few visits, it's exactly that, say, that kind of resistance of, well, all, the, all, the, all the fuss is about. This is kind of yeah. grubby and messy. And then you get to know the, right. the spots. And, and, the, and the little tricks and the secrets. And also, as we know, there's those standout cities 
around the world, the, the buzz named cities yeah. like Paris, like Tokyo, Berlin, yeah. London, New yeah. York. Well, you think, what's the big hullabaloo? And the reason why there's a big hullabaloo is because there's something about it. There's, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a feeling. There's a, you know, we all know that feeling of being in Manhattan. We all know that feeling yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the vibe in Berlin or, or Sydney, Australia. Yeah. You know, there's, there's the reason why they stand out. So in, in terms of answering your question in a, in a very convoluted way, <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant being here. I love London. And yeah, I'm here doing Star Wars, which is, um, which is kind of a, a lifelong dream. And it's I'm attempting intense, to be right? kind of cool and not so cool that it doesn't matter to me because obviously it matters. But as an actor, it's my job. So yeah. you have to have the perspective of just like, cool, this is my job. And I also want to enjoy it as much as I can, yeah. you know. So there's a little balancing act between the seven-year-old Dom is jumping up and down going, holy shit, there's Chewbacca. Completely, yeah. And then the adult is going, there is Chewbacca. Yeah. You still have to know your line the, to hit your mark. That's it. The adult has to go, all right, I'm I'm here for a reason as well. Have that pride of kind of, right, I'm, I'm part of this. Right. I'm not just an excited... It's, it's great to have that excitement. I genuinely... Uh, we're talking b- 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 before we started rolling, but... Uh, when I did uh, the Bastards Execution on FX and Taboo and on BBC and FX, on both of them, my role grew because I was that excited guy on set. And not getting in anyone's way, but, but if they wrapped me, I'd be like, it's okay if I watch, because right. I've not done in this, I'm learning. So right. if I've got Tom Hardy there, or Kurt Sutter wrote the Bastards Execution, like, if I've got Kurt there giving direction and clue, I want to learn from yeah, that. So having that excitement, but yeah, exactly that, still knowing, right... I'm here for a reason. I'm here to do a job. Yeah. Like, this isn't a make-a-wish. Right. Exactly. I, I, I'm not just kind of... I'm not just on set as a, right. as a gift. And a part... You must have it as well. You must <laughs> You must have grown up thinking, if I could ever play that venue, if, if I could ever yeah. play that city... Yeah. You play that city, and, and you, you don't want to dishonour the fact that, oh, I'm here in this place that I've always wanted yeah. to be at. But you also don't want to dishonour the opportunity to say, that's fine, I still have to kill. Yeah, I still yeah, have yeah. to nail it. Yeah, otherwise, I'm still here to do you know, my I'm job. Just a bowl of jelly, and everyone's like, "Oh, he can't handle it." You Completely, you, you you have to have that realization <laughs> that previously, you, your name has been on the receipt of the tickets. Now it's on the front of it. Right. Now it's on the front. So you, the, it's still that excitement to be there, but the roles have flipped. And in fact, I should mention now, we first spoke about, and we'll get back to Star Wars. I don't want to just because otherwise, I'm going to talk about only Star Wars because I'm going to be very excited. But there's other bits. Um, when we first spoke of you coming on the podcast, it was three years ago, and um, and you, you you said you'd come on if I gave you um, handwritten uh, lyrics to, to Thou Shall Always Kill, which yeah, I, yeah. I went back and saw the old message, which my handwriting is shit. So instead... <laughs> oh, mate! I brought along the vinyl. Oh, uh, mate! The, the, the rare limited vinyl. That is wicked. That so is I've wicked. got that for you as a little... Uh, oh, mate! As, as agreed three years ago to, you know, a few months back. This so, yeah. is a, you can swear on this show, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, This you is can. a fucking gem. <laughs> I remember hearing this for the first time and just being like, man, that, that just completely speaks my language. I love... Amazing. Obviously, I love rap music. I love yeah. the beat of this thing. I love the kind of, the stripped down quality of it where you're like, yes, there's a beat. Yes, we want you to be tapping your feet. But, you know listen to the lyrics yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. you were saying it was yeah. like a, it was like a call to arms and I remember getting people in my car <laughs> drive around LA and just going just listen to this shit we'd like get to the venue and they'd want to jump out and I'd be like no 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 no, the just, song's not finished just, just get to the end listen <laughs> there's some epic shit here like you listing all the bands yeah, amazing yeah. that's it's amazing. brilliant man well, thank you for that I love that so yeah I'm glad thank to, to go on it but um Obviously, I want to talk about a lot of stuff in your career because 
there's loads that I I adore. Um, but when I heard you on Joe Rogan's podcast, who I've I've been on Joe's podcast, he's the one that told me to start a podcast. Nice. So when I heard you on there. I really felt a kinship because there was a point where you were talking about animals a lot and we, uh, and I want to talk about that because you love animals but there was also a point where he was saying how much he loves humans and you were kind of a bit less on that side and I was completely relating because I've been a big believer in it's like I'm definitely obviously I'm pro all kind of eco stuff but part of me also thinks look if we fuck this planet up let's just that's us done let, yeah, yeah. let's let someone else have a try it's why i'm not a big fan of the mars stuff or that kind of thing it's like if we fucked up one planet fuck another one up, then yeah. let's let's leave it to another animal Re- yeah. remember we're part of the of the food chain so yeah. i've watched a few of your episodes of um of of wild things so how was that to kind of go and to go right i'm doing this i'm smashing it in my acting career but now it's got me in a position where i can go what i'm passionate about is animals and i want to go and meet animals and experience animals and show people that these scary animals that it's right for them to be scary in some instances but they're also you know they're just creatures they're just existing they're not monsters yeah and that's what i thought a wild things did really good was kind of dispelling that of just these scary it's like they're just creatures just trying to exist they're not out to like in england in particular there's there's an evilness around wasps. Right, Like, right. wasps, you think of, they're horrible. They're right. nasty little fuckers. But they're just existing. They're yeah, just trying yeah. to live in their own world. And, yeah. Yeah, they're just, they're just animals, you know. I mean, we, um, we have a, a serious disconnect from our natural world. Yeah. Uh, which, which continues to get worse and worse due to the construct of the cities that we live in. And, you know, I point out to people often that, we are nature. Yeah. You know, we're an animal. We live yeah. in the natural world. So many people are like, I'm not an animal, I'm a human. You're like, wait, hang on a second. What do you think humans are? We're not in a yeah. different stratosphere. And I've, I've done quite a few podcasts. I like Joe's podcast. Uh, I, think he's, I think he's a great podcaster. But you're right, we kind of got into it a little bit. And Joe's, you know, Joe, Joe's a strong personality. Yeah. He likes to make points. And I have a strong personality too. I think at one point in the midst of that argument, he was like, well, he said something like, you know, why are we disagreeing? Like, why, why, why can't you take my point or, or why do you disagree with me? And I said, well, we're just taking a contrary position to each yeah, other. Yeah. I, I don't feel differently about you as a person. But if you say something that I don't agree with and I'm on a podcast, which is a place to talk, then yeah, I'm going to discuss disagree. and debate these things, right? I was thinking the other night. So human beings in, in, the, in the way that we understand them now have been around for about 200,000 years off and on. So we obviously lived a lot less... Uh, years not too long ago, there was a point where, you know, our mortality rate was 45, 50, 60. It's crept up to, you know, early 80s now. But let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, we've been around for about 25 to 30 generations, Mm -hmm. right, of three score years and 10 type thing. And we're, and we're fucking it up. We we are blowing it. We're blowing it in terms of uh, the pollution rate has gone up. What we contribute to the planet is generally waste and not a huge amount more. There are people doing their best, but ultimately big cities like this creating a huge amount of waste and we, and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. We're, we're uh, losing our capability to feed the right amount of people, to house the right amount of people, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Okay, so we can, we can kind of agree that as a species we're fucking up after 20 generations. Let's say my favourite animal on the planet is an ant. My favourite type of animals are insects. Ants have been around for about 220 million years. I'm not great at maths. Yeah. But that is incredibly longer amount of generations. Yeah. Also considering the fact that they tend to live six weeks, eight weeks, ten yeah. weeks. 
So these guys have been around for hundreds of thousands of generations. And if you look at what ants have been able to do in that time is live in condensed societies, create cleaner soil, create cleaner air, clean up waste of at one point, other animals, now they clean up a lot of our waste, you know, yeah. big mammals that drop dung or die, yeah. and, uh, ants will come along. So they do incredible things for the planet. And I think what I wanted to say to Joe in that moment was, it's easy for us to, to be very self-gratifying in what we've done. Yeah. Yay, we, we created we the, Yeah, yeah, we created the iPad. We went to the moon. Yeah. We created Game of Thrones. These things are fantastic from a human point of view. Yeah. But living on this planet, what we really need to do is work out the food, air, housing situation yeah. and nail it. We're intellectually yeah. smart enough to do that. Let's all, you know, live close together, stop finding each other, feed each other, clothe each other, explore the planets, explore our consciousness, you know, get amazingly good in our existence. But we're... we're a mess and Joe would say no we're an incredible animal because we've done this but really we can't do the basics and I think yeah, that's what I was it's, getting at it's, it's the illusion that we're further ahead <laughs> than we are right. the fact it, uh, again it, it, it's, it's the myth that, that technology or anything like that is the completion of advancement rather than as you said ants they've completed their cycle they've, they've got it l- locked down right. from sustaining from keeping everything in order right. and we haven't got that it's it, it's it's an interesting one that you mentioned the the kind of opposing opinions because <coughs> one of the things that the internet has shown us is that we struggle uh, with that with interaction with we've suddenly got all these opinions and we become uh, we become enemies and i had i had laurie penny on the podcast a while ago and her analogy of social media was perfect which that she said it's like when we invented cities that we built these amazing things with people living on top of people and all that and within a year people were dying because we hadn't built sewage systems and we hadn't figured out how we're going to deal with the waste and all that and the internet is similar in that way we've built this amazing thing and we don't yet know how to understand it or manage it or control it or use it to its best ability but the problem there i think again i kind of agree is that's also putting forward the idea that we've figured out cities yet which which we haven't because 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 we are we're piling up and we're making insane amounts of waste we're we're having to import stuff constantly because we've not got room to produce for the amount of people here and yeah Chappelle says this great thing about social media and and the society that we live in nowadays that where he says we we live in this time where if someone has a contrary uh, opinion towards you 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 are then expected to not like anything about them. Yeah, They're a yeah, complete yeah, yeah, arsehole. Yeah. They're the someone, enemy. Right. And if you like red balloons and someone else likes red balloons, then they're supposed to be your friend, even if they might happen to yeah. go out and kill people in the yeah. air. You know, it's just opinions. We can have a different opinion and still be friends. That's how society should work. You know, yeah, that's how completely. you learn about stuff. I jumped up. You and I have been chatting on Twitter over yeah. the last couple of days or so to do this pod and... and uh, I jumped off Twitter a while ago. Essentially what happens for me is my Instagram feeds my Twitter. Yeah. And that's kind of it. And the reason why I did that was because if I want, I feel like my Instagram can just be, here's a photo or here's a video and you guys can think or say whatever you want about it. And if I choose not to interact, then that's fine. It's it's never, yeah. I could just move on, you know. The thing that I found with Twitter was it felt like I was walking into a really gossipy, loud classroom 
and you you can't help but be exposed to it. Yeah. And also with with when you get to a certain capacity of of followers, even if you say, "Isn't the sun brilliant?" isn't the sun a great thing that we have because it keeps us warm and, and helps us grow our crops. Someone's going to go, you're a fucking idiot. The sun's an asshole. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. you can't get away from that. So at first I thought Twitter was interesting and social media stuff was interesting because you can, you can get involved in that. I, you know, all that stuff about don't feed the trolls. I would yeah. like, I would like feed trolls and get them invested and yeah. then start to point out their grammar and, yeah. and fuck them up. And then ultimately I've I thought, genuinely some of my most rewarding moments and I'm similar. I'm kind of weirdly, the social media I've got the least followers on is Instagram, but that's the one I use the most because of, again, it's a similar thing I found on Twitter that maybe just the way it's set out, I found it harder to avoid the negative. Mm. It's just there. It's just in your face. But on Twitter, it has been some of my favourite moments is when I've engaged with trolls. And genuinely, there's been numerous points where I've talked them round. And they've kind of, and again, it always, I have one example in my head. I did a TV, I was, I'm a big, mixed martial arts fan and i did i was i was on a a tv show on bt sports i think it was about it a while back and the presenter on there was oj borge and he's a good lad the other guy on there was dan hardy who's a a former fighter so my awareness was that me and dan all we have to do is go on and be excited about fighting oj's the one that has a thing in his ear and has to move people on and do the hard job And and one person tweeted tagging oj saying and me saying, I love you, 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 you and Dan, but OJ's sh- shit. And I just mentioned again, it's a real, it's a piece of sh- a shit move there to tag someone in that. It's like you're allowed to have opinions. It's completely fine to have opinions, but to tag him, to say, just while you're getting on your day, just so you know, you're I think you're shit. And in hindsight, I went in too hard. And it only works because it paid off. I kind of clicked on his page and saw, he's like, I'm a proud dad. And I said, when you're teaching your kid do you say when she's going to school if there's someone you don't like make sure you let them know you don't like them make right. sure they know if, or if you don't like their hair make sure you know it's like i'd imagine you don't do that because that's right. not how you bring a child up you bring them up to be accepting and, and 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 sensitive and caring and the guy ended up apologizing to oj that's and it. sending him messages and all that and it was, it was one of them where i was like <laughs> If it hadn't gone well, then I would have felt like a dick kind of bringing his family and or going on his page yeah. and all that. But it was. It's that example of if you have got kids or godchildren or whatever, think on your social media when you're about to send this snarky, sh- shitty tweet. Is that how you'd want your child to act? Or yeah. is that what you'd teach them in the real world? Again, it's the illusion that there's a, a disconnect that the digital world isn't the real world. Right. It is. It's all part of the real world. It's all in our minds. Right. Twitter's like this, it's like this huge, massive boardroom, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the size of an aircraft hangar. But when you walk in, instead of it being you, you're hidden behind a massive sign that is your at sign. Yeah. So yeah, no one yeah, gets yeah, to look yeah, you in the yeah, eye. Yeah, yeah. No one gets to see what you're wearing. No yeah. one gets to shake your hand. They just get to see you walk around going, you know, at I love elephants yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can go over and get aggressive, but it never gets too personal because you're only interacting with someone else. You're hiding behind something. So a lot of times, if someone was mean to me, I would personalise it very quickly. I would just say to them, you know, why would you feel the need to be unkind to me? Like, I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. But suddenly I'm an arsehole or I'm a dick. And they would very, very quickly soften because it's become personal. I've actually interacted with them. The whole, I didn't expect you to... 
right. a reply or to see this. It's like, then you've wasted everyone's... If you're tweeting stuff out and not expecting anyone to see it... Yeah. Then just don't. Right. If that's the reality. And that's that's what I did for a while, but then ultimately I think, without wanting to sound too high and mighty and all, and all that nonsense, I just think I got a little above that yeah. in terms of my perspective of Twitter. And I just thought, okay... I could I could be on this level pointing out when people are being weird or mean or uncharitable or unkind to people. It's kind of a waste of my time. It's kind of a waste of their time. Yeah, just move on. And that's why. I mean, look, I, I read somewhere which made me sad. I read that uh, I read that Instagram is actually worse for cyberbullying than oh, any, really? than anywhere else. Yeah. I thought Twitter was probably the worst, but for me. I mean, you and I, you and I ran about the same age. You and I obviously grew up in societies where there weren't mobile phones, and then yeah, mobile phones yeah, came in. Exactly. What I've noticed now, or, or what I feel bad for for the kids, is they don't know a world without a mobile phone, and the the kind of personal world that you find yourself in, in between this little rectangle, yeah. it, it it actively asks you to distance yourself from the planet and from the view that is actually outside and the people that you're around. And get into this moment. Like I said to a friend the other night, when we were at school, you'd walk around and someone would go, your hair looks shit. Yeah. And you go, okay, my hair looks shit. And then you turn a corner and you see a mate. And you go, that guy just said my hair looks shit. And you go, what are you worried about? Your hair looks fine. Or yeah. maybe your hair does look shit. Have a laugh yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. And then you see someone else and they don't mention your hair. And you think, oh, okay, it's That's not right. that bad. Yeah. But the thing about Twitter is if someone says your hair looks shit and, you, and you're a kid that is invested in this little rectangle in a way that maybe you and I on yeah that really cuts yeah. you know it, get, it goes deep into them and and the fact is other people can then see that and agree and can mock and right. you know what i mean can, can it, it can become multiplied because it is that that public here's here's right. this attack i think it's not going anywhere social media and i think one of the things that i always loved when we were doing rings which was kind of early 2000s the internet was really kicking up a notch and yeah. elijah and i talked about the the sheer brilliance of the fact that the internet can't be policed yeah that, that it's the wild west yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that anything can happen and i still think that there's something to be said about that free expression yeah a, a world within a world that you know the anything goes but i also think that unless you have perspective it's very easy for you to get lost yeah. in that place. And it's only getting worse. I mean, did you read Ready Player One or did you see Yeah, it? yeah, I saw Ready Player One. I mean, that, that world, yeah. we're not too far away. I know a lot of people 100%. that are working in that VR world that say, you know, we've now got the rig, an Oculus thing yeah. or, or, a, or a Sony VR thing. We've got the chair, we've got the arms, we've got the legs. And within the next, you know, five to ten years or so, you'll come home and you'll strap yourself in and you'll... Like, I feel like it's not... We're not too far away. I play FIFA a lot. We're not too far away from having... A kind of square pad yeah. that you stand on yeah. and run on the spot. Yeah, and instead yeah, of yeah. you pressing a controller to ask for the ball, you're in the game screaming yeah. at Ronaldo going, give me the ball, you greedy bastard, yeah, give me yeah, the ball, yeah, I want to yeah, score. Yeah, yeah. You know? And that's, that's good and bad. That's it, know? it's the nuance, it's good and bad, exactly that. I, I think, again, I love the idea of this place of freedom of expression, but people currently struggle to mistake that with a freedom of consequence. Mm. Like, I think you should be able to be free to say anything you want, but then I should be able to be free to say you're a dick or right. to block you or to right. or to whatever else. So this, it's not this kind of, well, uh, uh, this is my platform, it's my right. It's like, no, you've got a right to express it. I've then got a right to say, you're a yeah. piece of shit, fuck off. But yeah. equally, uh, when I had Simon Pegg <coughs> on the podcast, he talked about being, you know, 
a working actor and being away from his family. And he was saying that on on a recent gig, the first thing he did, he got to New York and he borrowed a PlayStation or whatever, uh, 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 an Xbox, and he went and built a house on Minecraft uh, with his daughter. And it's beautiful that they could interact and talk and just, they're doing something. So it's not like a phone call where, particularly... for young kids, if dad's away a lot and it's the phone call, it's like the thing your mum's making you do. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll talk to dad, all right. Whereas they're, they're building stuff and they're just having this, oh, and so how was school? Yeah, it's good. And you build, you know, there's a beauty in the technology and I think Absolutely. people tend to go hard one way or hard the other. Either it's ruined everything, it's it's shit, or it's the best thing in the world. It's like, no, there's, there's, there's a middle ground there's somewhere in there. definitely the middle ground and I think for people like us that are able to, you know, kind of straddle both sides yeah. it's healthy but there's generations underneath us that are so connected to this and so invested in this that i think it can become quite damaging yeah at times and i feel for them, you know i got a, one of my uh closest childhood friends that i grew up with i've known him since i was nine or ten he's got a gorgeous little boy seven-year-old boy went for a walk in the countryside um in the summer when i went back to manchester for the world cup like roasting yeah. hot heat wave yeah, yeah, yeah so a game had been on it was a couple of hours till the England game. So we said, come on, let's go for a walk. So we went for a walk round um, Romley. Uh, and we're walking around and his son's telling us for probably half an hour or so how his life's going to change and what's going to be different when he gets a phone. He's only seven. Mad, and his dad's, his dad's looking at me rolling his eyes going, he's not going to get a phone until he's you know yeah. 11 or 12. He's just saying this because his cousins are 11 and 12 yeah. and they're into it. And... He still had a great time in the countryside and we still had a great time. But obviously, we grew up in a time where, at seven, a walk in the countryside is completely invested in, you know, cows and mud and grass and fields and, yeah. and walking around with your, your dad and, and your dad's best mate. But this kid had a little part of his brain going, dreaming about the time that he got a phone. And I'm, dreaming about a future where he's not in a field, he's, right. he's looking at a screen. And we didn't have that. Mad, I mean, maybe, we, maybe we dreamt about remote control roller skates or yeah. you know jet I think I think like that's that. it I think it's 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 all about being able to step back and look at any kind of things that you're falling into without a choice mm. just going well that's how it's it's meant to be I had I had a thing recently a mate of mine messaged me saying he's he's having a rough time like I'm out for going for a drink and I was I'm like, I don't really drink anymore so I was like let's go for a walk mm. and we went for a walk and had a catch up and we just walked up up and down the seafront and it was beautiful but it was that it was ch- ch- changing that where i'm from in essex the default is oh we'll go to the pub right. and we'll have a catch up it's yeah. like well th- it doesn't have to be that yeah equally the default doesn't have to be again the pub can be good when you want to go there sure but it doesn't have to be the default and similarly phones can be great when you want to engage in these things but it shouldn't have to be this here's the default because that seven-year-old all his all his cousins are talking about it right. that's all he wants he doesn't even know oh why he wants it i i picked my goddaughter up from her return to, to school last week and she's god i don't even know um around that kind of age a seven eight kind of thing and she was saying to her mum because she's got a phone but it's a phone that only she only has at home and it's on the internet but right. it's you know so it's all controlled it's just as so she can text her dad and and text people and that and she was going through this whole pitch of well i think I'm allowed to bring my phone to school now and you leave it at reception and they look after it, but we can have them in case anyone needs to ring their mum for anything. And her mum was like, 
they need to ring me they'll <coughs> ring me you, know, right, you don't right. don't make up this weird world where there's and here's a reason but again she's got no reason to want it she's in school there's not like there's these big gaps but it is it's that generation now where there will be someone who's got a phone and that's it on their lunch break it's all and it's just that it's that, that. Cr- that strange irony of all kids want to be adults all adults want to be kids yeah 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 you know, we spend a lot of time saying to kids you don't know how lucky you've got it yeah being at school and Maybe you got a little bit of homework to do, but you wait until you have to, you know, start paying taxes and pay mortgages and yeah, breaking so up with right. girlfriends. That's when it yeah. gets real. Meanwhile, the kids are going, oh my God, you could go buy any sweets that you want and you could spend all day watching TV and watching yeah. films and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of, it's kind of what the other, what the other half gets is, is what you want. But I, I was going to say the interesting thing that you said about going to the pub and stuff like that. I don't really drink like I used to either. I, I might kind of socially have a beer or two but in terms of getting smashed yeah. I don't I don't do it the last time I got really drunk was last Oscars which was last February yeah. um, I think it's probably one of the reasons why I left England I mean leaving England to go to LA because in London at the time there wasn't a huge amount of work for me yeah you know the acting business is very small as you know yeah. and there's always a list of the trendies Yep. And then they're not quite as trendies, and then the kind of solid actors that are, you know, really not trendy yet, but we can rely on them. And I was, n- I n- never really knew what list I was on, but I knew for a fact that I wasn't part of the list. And at yeah. the time, when I was leaving England to go to LA, that list was kind of the train spotting crew. So it was like you, yep. McGregor, Johnny yeah, Lee Miller, yeah. Jude Law was on that list. You know, you, you Robert Carlyle's. I just, I just wasn't on that list, you know. And I remember yeah. saying to my English agent. You know, because he said, it's around about that time now where you can move down to London. You're coming down to see us twice a week, twice a month, three times a month now. So you can move to London. And I thought, okay, so I can't really afford rent at that point in London. I know I'm not on the trendy list, so it's going to be a while for me to work. Or I could go to a place that's cheaper, sunnier, something that I don't know, more of an adventure. And also this alcohol thing, which... I, alcohol never really got out of hand for me. I was kind of lucky because, um, you know, my mum and dad kind of socially drank, but it was it was never mental. But what I was aware of in England was on a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, it's almost kind of a given 100%. to go for a beer. You might yeah. not get smashed, but you'll definitely yeah. go. You know, you'll let's meet at drinks. The, yeah. let's meet the more top, let's meet at the Elizabethan, let's meet at the plough Friday, Saturday night. And then Sunday, maybe you're nursing a hangover, so instead of having seven or eight drinks, you'll have four or five and then yeah. go home and get fed. And what I noticed was my Monday, Tuesday was just gradually getting through that. And then Wednesday, yeah, Thursday, man. you feel all right. And then Friday, you're going to get wanked again. And I, I, I felt like I couldn't get stuff done. And You're throwing away so much of... of, of, of the hours. Yeah, yeah, all your in, time. In the name of that, yeah. And alcohol is a natural depressing yeah it uh, it doesn't always get people depressed but i think over the long term it can it can kind of lean you towards that and yeah. i think if it were introduced nowadays there'd be a lot of people you know at a higher level making decisions saying well it seems to be okay if you have two or three yeah but this seven or eight thing is not it's risky great and in LA, not to say that they don't have their own issues in LA because they might not drink as much, but there's a hell of a drug problem in LA yeah. and, you know, there's other social issues in LA. But LA's a place where, you know, the guy who's serving you at the petrol station or the guy who's uh, 
giving you your breakfast where you go to the local cafe is clearly going to the gym five five days a week and running on the beach and he's got a great tan and he wants to be an actor and a part of that is obnoxious and a part of it's inspiring because you think well fucking hell if he's doing the work yeah then i should too you know yeah and the other thing if even if you look at the top of that is like he might not do it in the same way that he used to but like fucking clooney does the work you know clooney's well groomed and he shows up and he's prepared And he probably hit the gym, certainly when he was playing Batman, which I'm sure he regrets. <laughs> but all that stuff, they, yeah. they show up. So you think, well, fuck, it's probably not a good idea for me to be showing up for an audition on a Tuesday with a bit of a hangover. Yeah, because completely. there'll be 40 people behind me that won't have a hangover, yeah. that'll be better looking than me, more talented than me, more prepared than me. So yeah. why do I think I should get the job? It's improving your odds in that way. And it, again, the good thing there is, and it's what I think of people like The Rock on social media and stuff like that as well, is, yeah, some of that stuff is is unrealistic body image or whatever else, but it's all going in a positive direction. It's all just saying, look, just be healthy and look after yourself. It's not like it's promoting something that's a, leading you down a, a, a negative path, un, path, unless you go extreme on these things. But... I think all of that is good. It's, again, the, the the myth of LA is that it's all so sh- shallow and all this kind of thing. It's like, but some of that is good for you. As, yeah, said, yeah. as stupid as that sounds, some of it is good. If you are, as I said, in every coffee shop and everyone looks amazing, then you are going to maybe go to the gym a few times more or eat a little bit better and, and make yourself healthier yeah. and in better And my brother said that when place. he came over. I mean, my brother had a great time in LA, but my brother said, you know, does that, like, have a nice day stuff not get you down? Does it not piss you off? And I said, well... I understand it's fake. I understand yeah. they don't really, they're not really invested in you having a nice day. But I'd much rather they were fake nice yep. than fake mean. What happened when I would walk yeah. around Manchester or London when I came back is, you know, going to buy a paper or whatever, be like, how much is this? 55p. There you go, mate. Have a good one. Nothing. And you yeah. walk out and you think, oh, all that shopkeeper needed to say was, yeah, and yourself. See you yeah. later, you know. Enjoy yourself, whatever. Just keeps it in a positive realm, whether it's reality or fiction, you know. Right. And in LA, they've kind of adapted the have a nice day thing now to a little bit more like, you know, how's it going? How's your day? You know, have a good one. See you later. And they don't mean it. They don't care. Ten minutes later after you've walked out of the shop, they don't give a shit. But like you said with The Rock, he's just moving it in the right direction instead of the negative thing. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of negativity. You shouldn't feed into it it's it's everywhere it's just a choice every day yeah. it's just a choice you know well i mean we mentioned just casually game of thrones um early on in the conversation i think it's really it's comparable to lord of the rings not just because of the 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 mythology the dragons all that kind of thing but the fact that almost everyone it was kind of their first role mm. it was kind of like so how was that for you because you'd done some tv stuff but that was your first film role right and that was unlike or more so than game of thrones it was a big deal from the get-go it wasn't this kind of oh let's see how it goes it was like this is lord of the rings this is is yeah. huge. so how was that how did it come about how was the auditioning process and all that <coughs> yeah it was a big thing i mean obviously the piece of literature is obviously very well known in, yeah. this, in this country and all around the world as well my dad was a big lord of the rings fan i had read it when i was 15 16 uh, when we travel, when we travel backwards and forwards from Germany, where I used to live, to Manchester to see our 
extended family, we would listen to the BBC Lord oh, wow. of the tapes, which was Ian Holm playing Frodo. And obviously then he subsequently went and played Bilbo. So that, that was cool. So it was a, it was a big thing yeah. for me. How did that all occur? So I did a play in London, in Croydon, called The Resurrectionists, which at the time, I think they still do it, Time Out do the kind of five plays to yeah. see in London. And Ewan McGregor had a film called Little Malcolm and the Eunuchs, and we had our play, The Resurrectionists, and Little Malcolm and the Eunuchs was, was kind of hotly tipped. I think it was the number two play to see in London at the time, and we were number one, which was very fringy kind wow, of theatre. Yeah. It's a story of like three kind of rapscallion little lads that have no money, so they're digging up graves to take the jewellery and the, and the clothes yeah, and sell them yeah, and they get yeah, themselves yeah. into trouble. So the Hubbards, who are some of the biggest casting directors in England and in the world. The first or the second person I had a casting with who cast me in The Bastard Execution, oh, really? Amy. Really? Oh, amazing. Amy, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. They're, they're a, they're a, they're a kind of royalty family yeah, in that yeah. sense, you know. They had been, I think John Hubbard and Amy had come to see the play with my agent and I was still kind of rough around the edges at that point. So met them in the bar with my agent and he was like, this is John and Amy. I was like, oh, oh, great. So glad you like the play. Do you want a drink? We had a drink. That's great. See you later. And John said to, said to me, we're going to be casting Lord of the Rings in, a, in the next couple of months. So we'd love you to come in. And I said, fantastic. That's brilliant. I was playing a skinhead at the time. So no hair. Right. I got punched on the tubes. I had like a little bit of a, of a yellow eye, not a black eye, but it was like a yellowy, purpley eye. Was that the one time you were pleased to be punched on the tube? Because that must have been in, on a play, if you're playing a skinhead. That's yeah, great. Yeah. It's great makeup, right? It's great, great costume. Makeup. Looks but fantastic. It, but it was, it's one of them things where I had no hair. I could see that something was happening. I was sat down and there were like two or three lads stood up, looking like they were getting ready to exit. But there was something about their body language that was weird. And... Uh, as the as the door of the tubes opened, I'm just sat, so it was kind of here in my peripheral vision. One of the just went, fucking skinhead, and just punched me, and then walked oh, off, and wow. I was like, well, not really skinhead, yeah, just plain I'm skinhead, plain, but yeah. I, okay, I get it, whatever, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I had got... That's a weird one, it's a weird time where you get punched and can kind of get behind it <laughs> Fair you know, yeah. yeah no they are pricks aren't they um you've, there's a mistake but i support the yeah, meaning i like behind the mo- i like the movement good yeah. on you so anyway i went into casting uh and at the time it was uh hobbit general hobbit casting and general hobbit casting they'll do this a lot as you know in general castings where They'll pick a kind of archetype scene yep. and everyone will read for that. Yeah. So even if you were reading for Merry, Pippin, Frodo or Sam, you're still going to read the Frodo scene because you yeah. just want to see how you do yeah. in a hobbity way. So, Again, I was completely new to all of that shit. I had one audition where I was like, this script is amazing. They were like, oh no, we've not got the actual script yet. This is from another film. This is, this is just to get an idea of the character. And I was like... Oh, oh, I've learned this script and been like, this is such a good character. It's like, that's just an idea. Yeah, but again, yeah. it's like, they're just, Fuck we're it. just a hobbit. Just come and be yeah, yeah. a hobbit. We'll be, figure it out. Be hobbity, let's see that thing. Now, I, I kind of knew what it meant to be a hobbit because I'd read the books and I knew the books. Hobbits are positive, bright-eyed. The world, Everything about the world is new. They live in the Shire. Yeah. So apart from gardens and trees and stuff, everything's new. Everything that they see yeah. is new. So I had that kind of wide-eyed thing going on. And I went in and I read the scene where Gandalf knocks on the door to Frodo and yep. says, 
you know, what you've got there is something special, keep it secret, keep it safe type stuff. Did that, finished. John said, that was great. And, I, and I, you can always feel when an audition's gone well. Yeah. And, and they gave me the impression that it went well. So I thought, okay, great. And then I finished that play, didn't hear anything from them apart from my agent saying, you know, they like you, it's a process. So I said, okay. And then I went to France to do a TV show with John Thor, a miniseries about a French priest who, in the Second World War, the Germans come into the French village and he's trying to keep the peace when obviously the Germans are basically saying, this is our village now. And, you know, he's the priest that's yeah. trying to make sure that people aren't getting killed and stuff. And my agent called me and said, um, you might have to fly to LA or possibly New Zealand as soon as you finish to continue on with this process. And I said, okay. And he said, you know, be ready. And he said, they're not going to pay for it, but I would advise you to, you know, put your hand in your pocket because it could be a, it could be a good idea. Yeah. So I was invested in that. And then about three days, three or four days before I finished, he called me and said, uh, they just offered it you. You don't need to go anywhere. Right. So I was like, all right, great, great. So what happens next? And he said, well, you got... How to- was it completing the thing that you were on it? Like <coughs> with three days left on the thing and suddenly you're like... Oh. Yeah, it was... How it was, was it to stay stay focused on that and be a professional? Yeah, I mean, I think I stayed as focused as I could, but I was also very conscious. You've hung out with actors... They call a group of actors a complaint of right. actors. That's what you call them. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a murder of crows or a yeah, crash of rhinos. Yeah. So I was conscious of being sensitive to that uh, situation that I was in. But I, I had a, a girl that I was very tight with, so I told her she was over the moon. We were both excited. And then a really close friend who was really, really keen on playing Gimli, right. the dwarf. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. kind of a heavy set dude, burly kind of guy. Yeah, he he yeah, would have yeah. been great. He said, well, what do I do? How, do? how do I get to play Gimli? And I said, well, look, I'm not, I don't have anything to do with the casting. I'm just lucky that I'm along for the ride, but it's the Hubbards and, you know, gave him as much help as I could and everything. Um, but it was certainly a thrill. I remember the, the rap party thinking, wow, this is crazy. I'm going to, I'm having this rap party. I'm going to say goodbye to all the cast. And then I had a week back in Manchester to pack a bag. My grandma was, was you know, on her last leg. So right. I kind of said bye to my grandma. And then go, and I was so um, I was so wet behind the ears in terms of that type of travel that I assumed that New Zealand was a little bit like Australia. So I thought it was roasting hot, tropical animals, right? Yeah, you know, I would have assumed snakes and yeah. lizards and you know all that kind of stuff. But New Zealand's weather is much like England. And what was very sweet was it's all handwritten letters at the time. The internet was not around. I sent a handwritten letter to the producer, Barry Osborne, of Lord of the Rings, who was one of the producers of The Godfathers, one of the producers of The Cotton wow. Club, The Matrix. Yeah. I mean, this guy was killed. Yeah. And when I, when I finished the whole Lord of the Rings process, which was two years later, we had, a little, we had a little thing. Pete Jackson came up and said a few things, and I said a few things. And Barry Osborne read excerpts from that letter just to show my journey from oh, where wow. I was to where yeah, I yeah, yeah. which was like, you know... Would I have the ability to watch... Hang on, there's someone at my door. Would Sorry, I have the ability... Hello. Oh, hi. Hi, can you come back in a little bit? Oh, I meant to spin it around. Okay. I'm sorry. Did you use the bar? Did, did you? No. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the joys of staying in the hotel. Beautiful. Um, so I had asked questions like, since we're, on, since we're in another uh, kind of 
time frame, would there be an ability for me to watch Manchester United <laughs> in my house? And if so, how do we make that happen? And are there any crazy snakes and lizards that I could find close by? And what's the weather like? And, you know, just, just I silly little... Again, I want to clarify there that from what I know, you were asking because you want to see snakes and lizards. Yeah, right? yeah. Everyone else will be asking, is there any scary animals? Yeah, yeah. But you're like, are there any crazy animals I can go and... Because right, you right. had snakes as a kid and stuff right, like right. that, didn't you? So, yeah. yeah, so it's just, it's just <laughs> sweet to that. see that evolution. Yeah. You know? And... Um, in terms of in terms of the hugeness of it all, I always tell this story, but it's worth it's worth telling. We, we I flew out there, I flew out with John Reese Davis, the guy who played Gimli, but I hadn't met him on the flight. I'd only realised that he was on my flight when we landed, and we landed at stupid o'clock after flying for thirty two hours. So it was like, for for my journey at least, Manchester, London, London, LA, LA, Auckland, Auckland, Wellington. It's like thirty two wow. hour four flights. Jesus, yeah. And your and your jet lag is just yeah. bizarre, you know. So I got there and thought, okay. 10 in the morning they're probably going to give us that day off and then the next day we'll get up and do stuff and within an hour or so they they called the hotel and said okay we're going to pick you up you're going to come in chat with Pete do a little tour of the set meet the dialect coach meet the horse trainer meet the sword guy meet the cast and I I was I never had jet lag before yeah so I was like oh okay okay so saw Pete we spent half an hour or so chatting and having some fun he's a very affable guy you know kind of waylays any potential insecurities you might have about working with this big director. Yeah. It's just like, hey, we'll have some fun and it'll be cool. Perfect. And then he showed us the set. So he showed us Bilbo's uh, house, Bag End. You go in and there's, you know, capes on the on the coat hooks and there's a, there's a fireplace with, you know, a spent fire in there that has been burning, you know, a few days ago. It's now out and maps on the table and everything's practical you can sit on the chairs you can put your hands on everything and and it was impressive it was an impressive bag end everything's you know circular and beautiful i was like wow that's at this point in my career the most incredible set that i've been to yeah uh, and then he said cool let's go see gandalf's version and i was really confused i was like not really sure what that means <laughs> but okay <laughs> let's go so we went and now we see a, um, a much smaller version to make Ian McKellen seem yeah, very big course. and imposing. And everything was in the same place. All the capes were in the same place. The fireplace is spent. The maps are in the same place. And he was, he was walking around with John in front of us. And I just stopped and kind of thought, wow, this is huge. This is bigger yeah. than anything that I've ever done. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, met the cast and met Billy and Elijah and Sean on that first day. And, uh, they were very smart because they kind of grandfathered us in. So it was eight weeks or so of kayaking, horse tra- horse riding, dialect training, script reading, gym, a bunch of stuff, seven or eight things in each day. And th- those were all practical training things, but they also wanted us to feel comfortable, to become friends. Yeah. And, and then the first week, ten days or so, was all the hobbits, all the stuff of... Farmer Maggot's Field, falling down the hill, the Black Rider coming over the the wooded the birch, uh, yeah. log, us running, us getting chased at the Buckleberry Ferry, us jumping on the ferry. That was all in the first wow. week to ten days, and it was wow. very it was very clear that Pete wanted to kind of start from the nucleus and yeah. work out and make us feel comfortable and safe. It's, it's beautiful there as well. The idea of of, of whilst being productive building a group of friends because again you are away from everyone else as well you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere but also did you find that because the sets are so amazing it made it kind of easier to 
to become in that world. It's, it, it, it sounds like an odd one, but it's weird. It was, again, an Amy Hubbard thing. But when I did The Bastard Executioner, at, the, at that time it was the most that had ever been spent on a, the, the on the first episode of a TV s- a series. It was this huge thing. And I was nervous because I'm brand new to this. And it was exactly that. The first time I kind of walked around the sets, I was like, I feel like I'm here. Yeah. A chunk of the acting is done. Yeah. Because as soon as I walk on, I'm not Pip. I'm I'm Aiden the scribe. I'm you know, I'm, I'm, and it's amazing how those things can transform you. Particularly if you're in on that set for a few hours, that becomes the world, right? Yeah, that for becomes sure. your world. And particularly if it's such a big thing like that, where you're literally you can w- walk around the world. Yeah, yeah. I caught an NAR scene, no acting required scene. Yeah, you, you yeah, go yeah, on, yeah. And Pete says, "Okay, you're on the wooded log, on on the wooded road." You jump underneath the log, and then this scary thing is going to come, you know, above you, yeah. sniffing you out. And that thing was fucking scary. You know, this <laughs> yeah. big, black, yeah. ghostly-looking wraith making that yeah. noise. It was, it was scary. And, and you had to hug in because you're like, oh, shit, I, I don't want that thing to see me. It does make it easier. It can it. sometimes be, which I think is the reason why they, why they wanted us to walk around the set, feel the set, spend time on the set. It can sometimes... Be imposing, be intimidating. Yeah. Minas Tirith, Rivendell, Lothlorien, these places were set and they're big and they're, you know, they're a little scary. The cool thing for the for the hobbits was because we're wide-eyed, because everything's new, because we're a little intimidated by it all, it's okay yeah. to feel that way. He wanted us to be like, oh God, this is amazing. But for other people, I think he wanted them to feel like, well, go walk around, go check it out. You know, Get like, comfortable with right, it. Right, right. So it's not this... Right, feel the banister, touch the tree, all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, It was amazing. It was an amazing timing. And God forbid that, like, we didn't get on. I've always thought that. Like, I happened to get on better with Billy Boyd more than anyone else on the film. Now, he could have easily played Faramir or Aragorn, and I would have still got on with him better than anyone else, but I wouldn't have seen him. We just happened to get on better than anyone else, and we saw each other all the time. But the other guys as well, everyone was everyone was cool. Everyone realised that we were all pulling together. And like, I emailed Vigo the other, the other day to see if he was in London. There's a feeling of like having gone through university together or having gone through some sort of war together. I mean, well, it's really comparable because you filmed them all, all in a row, right? Mm. So that is like a university one. It's a three, yeah. four year kind of, yeah. here we are, we live in our life here. Yeah. So it's really, it's completely... Yeah, it, it relates in in that way 100% because you're literally, yeah. you're going through that, you're in class together every day for three, four years. Right, or and, and all it turns pull, out being, or two years. Yeah, and all pulling for the same mission. Then also, I remember at the, at the big, massive rap party when we finished giving Peter Hogg and, and being a little emotional, and he said, don't worry, I'll see you next year. And I said, see me next year. And he said, yeah, we're going to do reshoots. So we filmed for 18 months, and then... We came back for a six-week reshoot the year yeah. after, which you can you can make a normal movie in that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And the year after that, another six to eight weeks. And the year after that, another eight yeah. to ten weeks. And then we would do these press tours. And these press tours were a month, five weeks of, you know, London, Berlin, Paris, Tokyo, Sydney, Wellington, L.A., New York. Yeah. So the amount of time that you got to spend with people and watching people grow and watching people change and also people kind of adopted their characters in a lot of way off and on like if you think about the fellowship you've kind of got two leaders you've got Gandalf and you've got Aragorn yeah 
obviously Frodo is the ring bearer, but he he needs to surround himself with with aspects of his personality that he doesn't have for him to achieve his mission. But he's not necessarily the leader. You yeah. know, he he has to do something which only he can do. But you know, Gandalf's making the decisions, and Aragorn's making the decisions. And when you think about that, Ian represented for us off screen the kind of he was like the the elderly statesman that's been there and done that, keeps yeah, everyone calm, keeps st- like make sure that everyone isn't overwhelmed by things, gives a lot of love and support in a Gandalfian kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Vigo, who was also a leader in his own way in the film, he also kind of represented us in the way that he kind of spoke for us. He led by example. He's got a lot of honour, Vigo. He's got a lot of integrity. Yeah. When we had problems with the studio, it was always Vigo that spoke for us, one voice type yeah. thing. And everyone else, you know, Billy and I were like, we were the guys that were around to have fun, to make it a little yeah. lighter, to just enjoy ourselves, you know. Uh, I mean, that all sounds like great casting, right? Because you basically, <laughs> you, you've cast the real people in the roles that they need to be in the, in, amazing in, in the film. I've, I've read, I love, I subscribe to Empire magazine, I think it's the best film yeah. magazine in the world, and uh, the amount of times that you read from a really top-notch director that if you get the casting right, so much of the rest so of it is done for you. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. actors want to deliver, they want to do the right yeah, job. And if they're close to their character, you just say to them, look, here's the lines, say the lines as you would as your character, we'll move the cameras around and the scenery will be fine and you'll get it there's, done, you know. Uh, uh, there's a, 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 a book I'm reading on acting at the moment, and again, it's that kind of, I'm trying to fast-track myself up because I didn't go, go, go to stage school and all of a sudden I'm getting to go up for these huge things. So... And in that, it's saying one of the big things that people, one of the big mistakes that new actors make is thinking that you have to be playing hugely away from yourself to be acting. Otherwise, it's it's not acting. And she's saying the the the, the great that can be part of acting, but the great actors are comfortable with when they don't care that people might not think that they're acting. You know, what I mean, that they're just going out and being themselves. Like they know that they're a character in that moment and they're this, they're not having to go far from themselves. They're finding the parts of themselves that, that apply to that role and be in there. And it was an amazing thing to read. Cause I've for ages, I've been like, I just want, want something where I have to be from up North or Scottish or something. Just so I'm not just going out and being me. But right. it's like, again, it's finding that it's like, no, you're not being you. You're, 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 you're finding those elements and finding that character. And yeah. I mean, I think the, the transformative actors over the years are the ones that probably make the newspapers a bit easier. You know, yeah. your Marlon Brando's, your De Niro's, your, your Gary Oldman's, Daniel Day-Lewis is a great example. Great. These are people that, you don't really know who they are because they become that character. That's so impressive to see. And especially if you don't know a huge amount about the craft, you just like watching films. If you see someone like Gary Oldman, you think, wow, that's amazing because I he completely just folds into that character and becomes completely, yeah. Winston Churchill or becomes uh, Sid Vicious. And, and that's incredible, which it is. It's impressive. But... Um, you watch other actors, like obviously we know Anthony Hopkins has played um, Lecter and Lecter was a great turn, you yeah. know, just, just yeah, a yeah, great yeah. acting turn. But if you watch Anthony Hopkins in something like Westworld yeah. nowadays, what's really interesting about Anthony Hopkins, and it's not to say that he's not an incredible craftsman, is he doesn't do a huge amount. He just, he's very confident in front of the camera. So he has that weight, that presence. And he says his lines and he does his performance, but he lets the audience 
kind of come up with an opinion of what's going on yeah. based on how they feel, you yeah. know? So it doesn't, it's, it's, it's flashier. It's masterful to have that confidence to be understated, to be, right. to, to deliver it rather than, again, the kind of the myth of, oh, I need to steal the scene. In, in my mind, st- stealing the scene should be a negative thing because you should be part of it yeah. with everyone. It shouldn't be a kind of, I need to outshine. It's like, if it's in the script that you're stealing, do you know what I mean? Or yeah. if you steal the scene by just being, yeah, your yeah. own little... It's, that's ego. Yeah, stealing completely. The scene, exactly. You know? And like you said, if you, like if you take Oldman, that that part that he plays in True Romance, the the kind of mm, dreadlock guy... I've rewatched it a couple brilliant. of nights ago. It was on TV. Brilliant. Yeah, I saw it the same yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. I mean, I don't think Tarantino wrote in that particular sequence... Oldman steals the scene, but it's a flashy role. Yeah. He's only in that one sequence. Yeah. He's supposed to be larger than life. So, yeah, you can see why he would do that. But in other performances that Oldman does, he's he's just him. You know, yeah. he's just having the moment. I, someone asked me a, a while ago, and I always say this to people, students and stuff, if I'm talking about acting, you know, if you would give one tip or one piece of advice, and I always say, move less and feel more. Amazing, yeah, because yeah. then it's all it's all happening internally, and the audience will feel it. But I think the, sometimes the insecurity of acting means that you have to emote and you have to you know have have this moment. But the great actors, the truly great actors, are confident enough to just yeah. be still, yeah. you know, just be in that yeah. moment. That's the thing. If you can be, and all the cameras are around, and all the lights are around, and all the distractions are around, and you can just be, then they've captured something that's authentic. Completely. It's uh, on 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 the on the few things I've I've watched back. The beautiful things is when I'm in the background and I remember what is going on in that character's head at that time. And it's not my scene at all. I'm just in the background, but I know that I was sharpening my knife because I know the next scene I'm killing someone. Right. So the audience don't know that there's a murder c- coming up, but but I know in the background I would have already been told I've got to go and kill the guard at this place. So. I'm in the background just quietly shoveling sh- and stuff like that. It just, it makes it a buzz f- for me to go, right, that's a tiny insignificant character right. there, but I've done something. I, I know what that character is, yeah. so I can bring that on. And that feels like that. It's, authentic, then, it's authentic, you know. There's, there's a great moment in, in On the Waterfront where Brando's, they, they talk about it a lot in, in acting kind of workshops and stuff. Brando's walking through a park with this girl and she drops one of her gloves, and mm. it, it was not scripted. She's not supposed to drop one of her gloves. So Brando picks it up, and you can see that the actress is kind of like, oh, fucked up there. We'll, yeah. we'll go back to the, our number ones and start again. So she comes out of character, but Brando keeps her in it. And instead of giving her back her glove and carrying on with the scene, he just starts to look at the glove, turn it around in his hands, hold it up, play around with it. And it, it works for him, it works for his character, for a moment, she's out of character, and then suddenly she's back in because this kind of thuggish, brutish guy. It's almost like he's holding her hand for a second. Yeah, he's yeah, holding yeah, the glove. Yeah. So she gets pulled back into the scene. And it's just a great example of when something happens outside of your comfort level, but you're so engrossed in the moment that you know that you can authentically act yeah. based from your yeah. character's point of view. Absolutely anything know? that happens, anything you, that happens. You, you can react. Sasha Baron Cohen's amazing for that. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen has, he obviously is has lent himself towards characters over the years, yeah. which, which is brilliant. Incredibly talented guy. But what's brilliant about Sasha Baron Cohen's work, if you look at Borat or Ali G, if he went into that or any of those characters, you could ask him a question completely out of left field and he would answer from an authentic point of view because he knows the character so well. Completely, It's like Coogan. Yeah. Coogan's yeah, 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 master, yeah. one of the real masters, Coogan, I think. 
if he sat in his with his Alan Partridge wig on and and in his uh, in his Pringle jumper, and you asked him any question, what football team do you support, or what's your favourite way to eat a fish finger sandwich, he would answer authentically from Alan Partridge because he knows the yeah. character so well. Yeah, he knows I it love perfectly. Coogan. I love Coogan. He's, he's brilliant. He's amazing. Him, for anyone who's listening now, his when Coogan was on Adam Adam Buxton's podcast, it's amazing because he doesn't do a lot of those kind of things, and he just tells so much about the character of Partridge. Just yeah, all of it. It's a it's a, a good listen. I think he's one of the great exports, modern day expert, exports out of Manchester. My brother and I talked about this yeah. a couple of years ago. We were saying like, name, you know, if you were to name over the last 30 years or so, the most impressive artist to come out of Manchester. And the only two people that we got into a debate with was Coogan and Morrissey. Yeah. Now obviously Morrissey has his own issues. There seems to be some, you know, schisms going on with Morrissey, but yeah. from an artistic uh, expression, what he's able to achieve in his life was amazing. And yeah. Coogan, you, he's got to be in that debate. He's amazing. got to be. I mean, I'm team. I'm team Coogan, 100 percent in that That's one. It. That's. Um, That's so we will get on to Star Wars, but just before we get there, there's a TV sh- show that I want to talk about, and it was it had mystery and confusion and a kind of sci sci fi element to it, but it's not lost. It was flash forward. I adored f- f- flash forward, mm. and it just seemed to come and be exciting, and then and then go again, but. How was that to work on? Because that it seemed to have so much high concept stuff, yet be very much targeted at everyday people. Yeah. You know, it was this. It, it was that weird and, and similar to, uh, to Lost in a way. I've used it as a swerve there, but it was that similar thing of going, "Let's go crazy high concept and then bring the general public up to our level." Rather than going, "Is this a bit much for? Is this a bit niche?" Yeah. And so, how was that? Flash Forward was great. I had a great time doing Flash Forward. It was, um, I think it probably struggled. You had a cool, nasty character in yeah, it as yeah, well, it didn't you? It was a, like, a lot of fun to play, I'd imagine. Yeah, Just it was really being... like a quantum physicist serial killer, yeah, which, yeah. which was fun. Um, I think it's, it struggled a little bit. It suffered a little bit from being so close on the back of Lost. Lost was made by an American channel called ABC. Yeah. Flash Forward was ABC. Lost was coming into its final season, it was known, and ABC were desperately looking for, you know, whatever, the new Lost. And I, I always think you, you're on your way to a bit of a hiding if you yeah. do that, because you, can, you can't follow it, really. You need, to, you need to come up with something new. Instead of, like, we invented the wheel, oh, here's a new wheel. You need to, like, fuck off all it the ideas. It happens in wheel, every you know? industry. It happens in music, that, yeah. like, there'll be a big female singer-songwriter and they'll sign hundreds of female singer-songwriters to go, who's going to be the next one? Again, I'm, I feel like I keep bringing up my own shit, but that's what happened with the Bastard Executioner. They were trying to make the new Game of Thrones and that's too much pressure. It that's is. too much to go, right, let's let's make a new version. It's like, no, that works well. The new, yeah. the new Game of Thrones... It's probably going to be a Westworld, yeah. or probably going to be something like that. Sure. That's, that's completely different. That's in its own own area. Yeah. Not going. Oh, let's just yeah go yeah, go in, medieval in its own in its own lane. I did um I did a terrible film with uh, Sean Bean uh, just before Game of Thrones came out. Yeah. Great great cast: me, Sean Bean, Christian Slater, James oh, wow. Cromwell, Thing Rames, and I did it because the the script was pretty good. But I love Sean and I spent a lot of time with Sean and. Uh, I knew he was doing it, so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Ukraine and do a film with Sean. <laughs> and we were sitting on set one day, having a laugh. Sean and I always uh, like have a laugh and a joke with each other, and he said, oh, I did this uh, 
really good uh, TV show last last year, Dom. I think you really, really like it. It's called um, Game of Thrones. You should look out for it. It's going to be on, going to be on HBO. Loved it. And I said, oh, okay, great. And he didn't tell me anything about his character or anything. Amazing, yeah. And uh, brilliant for him to keep that secret. Yeah. And even he knew that it was that it was something special, you know. So in terms of your thing about flash forward, we, you know, they, they were they were doing a little bit of a new losty type stuff, high concept. I thought it was a, a great idea. The whole world falls asleep, but one yeah. guy's awake, and that guy happens just to be has me. A, a, a blackout, and then yeah, there's one person on CCTV or whatever, right, that's, yeah. walking around where you're like, oh, who's that guy? Um, the thing that happened that I think was probably the, the final nail in the coffin for Flash Forward, because the ratings were fine and, and we were ready to go again, was it had been produced by a husband and wife team, David Goya, who had worked with Christopher Nolan on the original Batman trilogy. Oh, and wow. He is a great writer, does yeah. a lot of stuff, Goya. And his wife at the time, who was Jessica Goya, she's now Jessica Boschiski, and they broke up about right. halfway through. So Goya left the project and Jessica was producing it. And I think ABC kind of said, well, we started off with a team and now we've got one. Yeah. And we're not really sure how things are going to look from here on in. That's interesting. So it went away. But, I mean, you, you can just never predict with TV shows. I mean, Flash Forward had everything that you would think would work about a TV yeah. show. It had a great cast, had a great concept. Uh, it was at the right time. It was sexy. It was a great network. It just didn't quite get there yeah. meanwhile you know other things you think well that's never going to work and it goes on for then it goes you know, to be 10 years it's now. it's so unpredictable but it's the beauty of the industry is it is the cliche of, of one door closes and, uh, and another opens and it is ex- exactly that if something th- doesn't work it frees you up to jump into yeah. something else because tv can be that thing that the that locks you in for this extended period, and you can always find examples of that. I'm I'm a huge Manchester United fan, and uh, you know I I can certainly dictate how I feel on a Sunday or a Monday based on if United have won or not. And one yeah. of the, one of the projects that I really wanted to do when I was about twenty one was they were getting together a film for working title about the Busby Babes. So oh it kind wow! Of follows their last season. Yeah, all the all the. Athletes are healthy. Manchester United are the, are the biggest team in Europe, playing really well. Obviously, the plane crash and the subsequent life of the players after the plane crash. So the the idea was we were going to go to Ireland for six weeks, do football training, and then and then do the film. So I was I was in hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Came down to London, did some training on some some field in Chelsea. Went well. My agent said, "Yeah, they love you." You know. It's, it's happening and we'll get back to you. I was like, okay, great. And then a, f- uh, a few weeks later, he called me and said the, the Manchester United project went away. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the backing. It just right. went away. And I was living with friends at the time and I was really gutted. It was the most gutted I'd ever been about a project yeah. going away. Like, oh, fuck, man. I was so into that. And one of my mates who was really good at football, he and I were going out, we were doing training. And, yeah, I, and yeah, I was yeah. in the gym and I was feeling good. If I had have done that, I couldn't have done Lord of the Rings. yeah. So at the time you think, oh fuck, it's and mad, then like you it? said, it just opens up another door. So you have to just be kind of in the zone with letting things go and letting other things come in. Yeah. So speaking of of, of another door, let's finally get round to, to, to Star Wars. Um, I reunited with JJ. So how is that? How how did it come about? How how exciting is it? Um, and what? Can you speak about again? It's the tough thing with actors that the two times I've had Simon 
peg on. Like he's a good mate. Every time we've stopped rolling, it's been here's what I couldn't say. <laughs> and, then, and it's weird because at the beginning of the of the second one, I, I I revealed that at that point he'd been on set with a with JJ at the at at, at the other Star Wars ones and all that, and he had a small role in all this. And I joked about that at the start of of the of the second podcast three years later, and then as soon as it ended, he was like. Right, <laughs> here's what I can't talk about. Yeah, it's not Star Wars related. I'm not gonna. There's no spoilers there. But it, yeah, it is a little bit like that, unfortunately. But I can, uh, I can tell you how I feel about things. And yeah. I, you know, I did some stuff on, on Instagram where I said I can't say anything, but I can tell you guys how I feel because yeah. that's not revealing anything. You know, Star Wars is obviously the the franchise was bought by Disney. Disney are extremely as most studios are, extremely controlling over what you can and can't say. It makes yeah. sense. Star Wars is, you know, the big movie alongside Marvel movies out there. How it came about, I mean, JJ and I have been friends since we did Lost. So JJ created and wrote the first episode of Lost, the plane crashing on the beach, and directed that, which was six weeks of us hanging out. In that six weeks of us hanging out, JJ and I became pretty tight. We're both into the same things we certainly i don't remember specifics but we certainly talked about star wars in that six week period about being star wars geeks we both like synthesizers we talked about synthesizers a lot we like music he makes his he makes a little bit of music i i mess around making music as well we both like uh travel we both we're into geeky what what you would attribute to being geeky stuff collectible stuff toys all that kind of you know stuff so we've been pals ever since JJ quite often has a big Thanksgiving kind of dinner thing, which I'll often get invited to. I'm friends with his wife. I've watched his kids grow up. I'm friends with his son, who's now at university. And when the first one happened, when Force Awakens happened, I was actually coming down to Bad Robot for something. I think it was JJ's 40th birthday or something like that. Anyway, I was coming down with a gift for JJ and it had been announced like the day before. So that was a big like, whoop, whoop, yeah, yeah. amazing. Congrats. I'd love, yeah, I'd love to do something in it. And JJ said, cool, obviously, I, I know that. Everyone wants to do something in it. He said, <laughs> uh, he said, I think we're going to cast, certainly in our, in our nucleus, unknowns at the time. Yeah. Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, to a lesser extent, Oscar Isaacs, because I think Oscar had done some stuff, you know. Yeah. But he said, look, obviously I'll keep you in mind. I know how much it means to you. So that happened. And, and I stayed obviously tight with JJ and I hope, although if he listens to this, he might disagree, respectful of that position. I'm a fan. It's such a fine line, isn't it? I've got that with numerous kind of casting directors that that I've really hit it off with, that we chat and and then you do see a project come out that is something that you're like, it's like... Oh, and then you see it later uh, and you go, I would have been amazing in that. So so the thing with JJ, you know, I kind of... I would check in and go, how's it all going? How's the galaxy far, far away? Wanting to just, as a friend, lend support and and help him out, but also remind him of what's going on. So the first first thing, I was aware pretty quickly that that was a bust. You know, he was like, look, come visit us. We're in London. We're in these locations. Love to see you. I'd love for you to, you know, come to set. And I attributed it. I said, that's like being a chocoholic and being invited to a Nestle factory. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You just, you, I'm too close to the storm, you know. Yeah. I'm like, thank you, I love you, but, but that's that's hard for me to do, you know. Yeah. And he knew it, he got it too. Second one happened with, with Ryan. Uh, 
so I didn't get cast in that. And then when the third one came along, which JJ wasn't going to do for a while, and then he was going to do, he and I were chatting, and he said, "I'm, I'm not even writing the script yet." But he said, I, "I'll keep you in mind this time. Let's keep chatting. Let me know if you get a big job that won't work for us." Yeah. So I said to my agent, "Fuck all that shit. <laughs> I don't want to work. I want to keep myself available for yeah. Star Wars." And my agent, being a smart businessman, said, "Well, look." Here's Star Wars, which is nothing at the moment. Yeah. And here's this potential job, which is actually something that can get you paid. So let's let's not cancel ourselves out. Yeah. But in my heart, in my journey, I thought, well, unless it's amazing, I'm I'm just gonna take a little bit of time off and wait for Star Wars. So we wait, we wait, we wait. I check in with JJ. He and I are massive Beatles fans. He had spent some time writing at homes of Beatles, you know, wow. people that were the Beatles and all this kind of stuff. I was like, oh, that's amazing. You, you, you're hanging out with this guy and this guy. And like, oh, you saw that thing and that thing. And the World Cup was on. So this is, this is when it started to become something real. The World Cup was on. And he said, I'm about to finish this first draft. And he said, I just, I think I've found a character that goes through this script that works for you, you know, right age, right sensibility. So, uh, there we go. And I was like, amazing. That sounds great. And then we were, England were playing Colombia in the World Cup in a knockout game. First time in England's history that they ever won a World Cup penalty shootout. Yeah. And at the start of that game, because JJ's a motherfucker in the best way possible, he emailed me and he said, I think I have a Star Wars part for you. And I wrote back and said, brilliant. I won't bother you, but let me know if there's anything I can do or anything you can say. And he wrote back and said, if England beat Colombia, you're in. And I was like, <laughs> oh, mate, you bastard. He's playing with me, but it's a brilliant way to play with me. I love it. So I was like, this is the most excruciating game of all time. It went to 90 minutes. It went to 120 minutes. We won the penalty shootout. So I'm jumping up and down because England had won the penalty shootout, but I also knew what JJ had jokingly said to me. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he emailed me back and said, you're in. And I said, wow. great. So I said to my agent, you know, let's just stay with this thing. And then about, I don't know, about probably a month ago, Disney got in touch with my agents and said, this is the time frame. This is how much we want Dom to be available. Because because Jay's a friend of mine, he had said to me, you know, at some point you'll get an opportunity to read a, read the script. It's obviously under lock and key. He said, just just be aware of the fact that there's massive sequences in Act 2. There's massive sequences in Act 3. But because we're uh, shooting Act 1 first, I've put you in there and you seem to not be around as much in Act 2 and Act 3, but yeah, that's because yeah, that's yeah. what we're doing first. I want yeah. you here. I want you invested. Yep. So he said, read the script, but just know that it won't be long until there'll be a redraft of those things and we'll see you a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I read it and the script is amazing and uh, obviously there's not a lot that I can say. Uh, I'm trying to think what I can say. I mean, <laughs> oh, mate, I can't really say anything. Um, I don't want to push you on anything. Here. I don't want any. I'll tell. I'll tell you. Or... I'll tell you a few. Like, I mean, I can't tell you too much about the story, but I'll tell you a few kind of anecdotal things. Yeah. I was able to, and I was I was emotional, and I had to I had to check my emotions a little bit because I was in the middle of a day at work. But I was able to go over and give Chewbacca a hug, and it's Amazing. it's it's real, man. I mean, he's. It's a guy called Jonas. He's got the Chewbacca uh, kind of helmet face 
head mask thing off. Yeah. But then he puts it on, and I went over to him and gave him a hug. He's eight, eight feet tall at this point with his head and stuff, and hu- hugged him. And it, for a moment, it flashed me back to my childhood, and I realised that when I was a kid, I was always the smallest kid in my school. Right eventually the smallest kid, always the smallest kid in my year, usually the smallest kid in my school as we got like older and older. Uh, Sorry, when I was, when I was younger and um, I'd always look for a protector as a friend. So my my favorite, my my best mate when I was a kid was an African kid called Kwesi Appa. I think he's from Nigeria. I was tiny. He was tall for his age. When I was, when I went to secondary school, my my, uh, best friend was a a guy from Pakistan called Haroon Kwasi. He was really tall cricketer. Yeah. And then my best friend, when I came back to England, was a guy called Tom Murray, still my best friend now. Um, he's a big guy, you know, big footballer guy. Yeah. And I realised, I knew it, but then it all came, it all kind of came full circle. Because of the influence of Star Wars in my life, I've always been looking for <clears throat> Chewbacca yeah. in my life. Yeah. The protector, the best mate that's loyal, that loves you, that really is kind of a bit of a pussycat. Yeah. But if he needs to it's rip someone's head off, yeah, he yeah, can yeah. do so that was an amazing moment and amazing other it. moments like, you know, I did the same with Anthony Daniels, gave him a hug, was able to, you know, put my hand on R2-D2 and, and just kind of in my own little private moment say, you know, thanks for being amazing in my childhood, amazingly yeah, yeah, influential yeah. in my childhood. So walking around those sets has been special and I've got about another, all in all, about another six weeks to go. Amazing. <clears throat> amazing. And that must... It, <clears throat> It's 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 huge to get one, you know, iconic series of films in your life. But to get two again, as you said, other than other than the Marvel films, really, you'd say Lord of the Rings and Star Wars are the two, right. the two iconic, <clears throat> and Star Trek, I guess. But that's that's come back into film because of JJ as well. Sure. It's kind of it's more a TV thing, but how much time do you get to kind of step back and go fucking hell this is this is mad because again you're thrown into it and again you're having to be a professional you are a professional this is your job this is your work but still lord of the rings and star wars is a yeah is a hell of a i I think i'll do a little bit more fucking helling once it's all done (laughs) yeah but my agent said to me and i was like you know if i was an egomaniac i'd get that tattooed somewhere on my body but he said you he said, I just kind of did a little bit of snooping around. And he said, you're the only actor in the history of film that's been involved in Lord of the Rings, Star Wars and a Marvel project. Yeah. Because Christopher Lee was in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So tick that box. But he said, you're the only person that's been in all three. And I was like, wow, if I ever wanted to sit around and be impressed by something that I've done, then that's that. But Completely. That's- I mean, I put a similar, I had Martin Freeman on recently and I had The Hobbit, Marvel... And um, and Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I was like, that's a that's a that's a powerful free. And again, it's and he's Tim from the Office. Yeah, and Tim from the Office. That's just genuinely, I think, what we spoke about the most. But yeah, yeah it is worth taking a moment to kind of to give yourself the credit of, of, for that. To, to to sit back and say, because particularly as M- M- Martin and yourself, you've done these huge things. Yet you wouldn't. I don't think you'd think of yourself as a rock or, or one of these no, these no. huge names so yeah. it's that weird thing of you've achieved more than that from exactly as, as we were saying from not trying to steal the scene steal the to, to to have the ego to go it's me i'm the superstar instead you've gone and learnt your craft and smashed your craft and that's why you're getting to be 
yeah. in these positions, right? And I mean, humility is obviously a very important thing. I think yeah. being being humbled is one of my favourite experiences in my life. And I said to someone on set the other day, if I had the opportunity to be humbled on a daily basis, I'd take it because I yeah. think it's super important. Also, the people that are, are directing and producing those projects will dictate how much of a big head you get or how much in your head you get. And if you take the example of Peter Jackson or JJ, who have very similar similar sensibilities, they're both very humble. They're both very cool mm. guys. They both appreciate that they're talented, but there's a huge amount of luck involved. And the first day that I showed up on the Star Wars set, you know, I went over to JJ and gave him a little bit of love. And I was like, this is amazing. And we broke. And he was like, you're on a Star Wars set. We did it. I'm here with you. We're on a Star Wars set, you know. So we had that little moment. Yeah. And then he was like, all right, let's go to work, you know. Let's um, do what we do. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get the job done at the end of the day. I think I think there's time for that. I was saying to someone who was driving me into work the other day, what I what I love about Lord of the Rings is I know that there's a time in the not too distant future where my grandkids will come round to the house and they'll be seven, eight, nine years old and they'll yeah. say, you know, mum and dad said we're ready to watch Lord of the Rings and I'll sit with them. And I watch Lord of the Rings and I'll say that was me when I was 22. And if you want to ask me questions or we just want to watch the movie, we can do that too. And maybe that's the time for me to say, whew, what an adventure. But at this point I'm on the journey, you know. I completely agree. I've got kind of a weird philosophy in my life of I don't like celebrating things. And it's a weird one. Like When I've got certain TV things or film things, my mum's always been, let's go, let's have a minute. And in my head... If I celebrate it, it's acting like that's unusual or a, a break from the norm. And it's like, no, that's what I do. That's what I'm meant to be doing. That's what I hope to do. It shouldn't be this this unique, unusual thing that I've got this amazing acting gig or this gig or, or whatever else. So, yeah, it's having that, that mentality of going, yes, this is exciting, but also it's, it's what I'm here for. It's, yeah, it's, it's what I've w- set out to do. It's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I'm exactly where I'm, supposed to, where I'm supposed to be. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I didn't realise I was doing it when I was younger, but I cottoned on to it in my kind of mid-twenties. I'm a big fan of manifestation. You know, I do a yeah. lot of, meditate daily and I do a lot of manifestation, meditation, which is not, it's not from an ego point of view of, I want this, yeah. I need this to happen. I'm at a point where, you know, these things need to happen next. You just... Spend some time in your meditation, you know, going through a certain amount of gratitude and and getting yourself as as clean as possible. And then from there, you just picture what is going to happen next, what you're going to bring into your life next. And you you do it from a non-ego based personality of I deserve this or, 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 or I demand this. You just say this would be great if I were to, if I were to close my eyes and fantasy uh, fantasize about something, this would be great. And I think there's been a lot of inadvertent manifestation stuff that went on. Like when I was, we moved back to England, we're obviously able to put up any poster that we wanted on our wall. And I put up a big Lord of the Rings poster and I spent quite a lot of time thinking, man, that'd be an amazing movie. And if they ever made it into a movie, that'd be an incredible project to be involved in. And there's something to be said for me putting, my that. energy there yeah. because something came back. There's mysteries in our existence and mysteries in the universe that we can't quite work out. And if you if you don't believe in magic, it's because you've not invested enough into that magical, unexplained stuff. And if you want to start believing in magic, start manifesting stuff yeah. because that stuff is real. That shit happens, you know. I love it. I mean, that's a, that's a perfect point to, to start to wrap things up. 
before we do, I wanted to end on. I I I I've heard that you're a fan of games and board games and stuff like that. And when I did um, a film called A Walk A Walk Like a Panther last year, one of the most memorable parts of shooting this film was in breaks in between was the all these different games that the cast would just play and all made up kind of a bucket over there and you've got a two P to to flick in or whatever. Do you get to bring in much of that to set to be part of that to kind of go let's 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 break the the monotony of it because again it is a beautiful thing that i'm still incredibly excited to be involved in any of these things but you do get actors who are like you know i've been waiting around for six hours to you know and it's understandable it gets there but again i'm lucky i've not had the annoyance of that yet i just i've had 10 hour waits and been perfectly content and like oh i'm I'm on set i've got a costume this is mental but yeah do you get to to, to bring any of that match on, that on sunsets perfectly on this on Star Wars because it's such a a smoothly running machine they don't tend to bring us on to set until right. they're yeah, like yeah, eight yeah. minutes out yeah. and then we'll we'll get going but on other sets certainly I'm a big Scrabble fan so I've played Scrabble with a lot of actors over Amazing. the years yeah it's a great game Scrabble I think yeah. ultimately I mean obviously if you're a fan of chess if you're a fan of backgammon then, then that's your favourite game in the world but just personally speaking I like words I like playing with words. I like learning new words. The great thing about Scrabble is there's a certain educational element to it because if someone puts down, you know, the word philanthropist, you don't know what that is. You're like, oh, well, that's an incredible word to spell. But what does that mean? And they tell you, you're like, oh, I learned something as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Scrabble fan. I just bought Risk, which I've never played before. Yeah. And I heard it's a relatively complex game to set up. But then once yeah. you've set it up, you can kind of play it and my friend. Well. Chris is a big fan of the game Risk and I always remember I think it was Bo Burnham had a joke that said uh, the irony of the name Risk is that anyone that plays it is generally people who've never taken a risk in their life Um, but but, but yeah I've I've not played it myself but my mate Chris yeah he's obsessed because again it is, is one of them that it's complex to set up the rules seem complex at first, but as soon as you start into it, it's, yeah. But it's like a five, six-hour commitment. You're supposed to, you yeah. know, if you're going to play it, play it over like two stints. Again, it takes a long time. And my mate Chris I, I comes around every now and then, because I know he's massively into ball games. I'm not that into him, but I'm I, I, I'm not against him. And he'll bring round like... Um, Blood Bowl, I think it is, which is one of the Warhammer American football games. And that's one where the first time we played it was when we were staying up for a boxing match that started at 4am and I was oh, like right. well, bring a board game round yeah. what better way to keep us awake and active than just have that and it was g- genuinely four and a half five hours of just fuck of this game that ended like 2-0 or right. 2-1 or something like that right. so it's literally but again it's that yeah it's, and it's losing yourself in I it I think there's something to be said for a sense of play you know like I don't I never want to come across as being flippant or or not taking things seriously on set because, you know, I do take my job seriously and I, I always want to, you know, commit to the scene and, and uh, you know, bring my bring my best piece of work. But I like a sense of play because if there's if there's an environment of play, then it allows me as an actor to to play around a little bit, to have fun a little bit. Yeah. If it's tense and quiet and, and people are a bit nervous on set, then my performance might be a bit affected yeah, by that. You it know? doesn't give you that, that comfort to get loose and take a risk on one of the takes and right. things like that. And that can be, yeah, where the best stuff comes, right? If you're yeah. too, if you're too, I need to just, here's my lines, here it is. Okay, bye. It's when there's that comfort to go, well, we've, we've got that. I'm going to try 
yeah, yeah I'm going to try and this and try playing about a bit. I've generally been lucky enough in my career that I'm either I'm either in there from the ground up or I'm one of the more established people in the piece. So it, it gives me, you know, a little bit of time to get my sea legs and then be confident. Yeah. But coming into this Star Wars project, obviously you've got Daisy and John and Oscar and Adam and they're the kind of they're the people that have been there and done that. Yeah, and yeah. you come in as a guest star and I've never I've always empathised with the guest stars kind of struggle of like, man, you have to come in and hit that vibration that they're at immediately. It's tough, yeah. It is tough. And and I've never really been there. And I saw it really for the first time in a major way doing Star Wars where these guys know it. They, 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 this is another day for them on set. They still take it seriously, but it's another day for them on set. Yeah. So they're having jokes. And what'd you do this weekend? And laughing and singing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, first down set you know, got to have my game face on, got to bring my A-game type thing. And it was the first time that I was able to think, man, that is a real, that's another challenge for an actor that was new to me that I'm so happy that I experienced. Because now, if I'm doing a film or a TV show and someone's coming in for a day player or a two or three day player where they have to smash it and then leave, I'll empathise with that struggle of you have to go from zero to ten and then bounce. Whereas, you know... Because I've been here from the first week, I could kind of start at a six and then seven and eight and a nine. And by the time I get to Friday, I'm done. Yeah. So that was another learning experience for me that I really appreciate. Completely. I think it's it's finding, and it's it's a weird one, but I've lucked out on that. I've I've always, because I started to stop drinking and things like that, I've always been one that's comfortable to say, I'm going to, I'm going to leave now or call, uh, uh, you know, politely interject. And that's what you need in those uh, 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 situations. Because if you're enjoying the fun, but you need a minute. Yeah. You don't want to seem like a dick. Like no. You don't want to be the guy who's like ignoring everyone, but it's fine to go, I'm going to go and have five minutes just yeah, before, yeah. just I need to get my head together. If you can do that in a polite way, then that's that's the perfect uh, balance, right? Otherwise, you will, because again, I'm sure you will also have had people who are in for a day or something that everyone's like, what's this fucking problem? Yeah, who's, yeah. who's this guy coming yeah, in? Yeah. And it's, but, you know, it's finding and that balance, right? Like if you take, for example, something like Game of Thrones, which is the biggest TV show in the world right yeah. now, uh, if you're if you're a guest star that's going to come and do four days in a scene yeah. with Amelia Clark and a bunch of other people, and you have to be you know the leader of a warrior tribe, yeah. and she's she's on the battlefield, and you have a conversation with her, that can be really intimidating for an actor. Yeah. You're suddenly hanging out with the Dragon Queen, who you've seen on TV, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. love her performance, and you love the TV show, and you know you're, you're still having to be ready for when they say action to bring your thing. And I've seen actors freeze up and I've seen them seize up. And I know directors that have said to me, the reason why we, we keep it loose and we try and have some fun and, and joke about is we don't want you to necessarily get freaked out by the castle yeah. and the dragon yeah. and the actress. It's just another down set. You've done this before, you know, and that's so good to get that. Like the, the, the first day I ever had on a, as, as, set was King Arthur so it's Guy Ritchie Guy Ritchie's one so it, I got cut out of it completely in the end but I still was it the scene enjoyed it. no and, no I had a load I had a load Damn of different it. scenes but, but but anyway they changed <laughs> the whole story out. but that was again it's 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 the luck of having those experiences as I got there and again we've got like 200 extras on horseback we're on a hilltop we've got a helicopter coming over for a shot all this stuff and, Ch- and Charlie Hunnam and um, Didier um, both were kind of 
would start and go, oh, no, no, what's my line? And it just, and guy, and it felt playful straight away. It's like all that pressure, and they're like, ah, oh, shit, how's this one start? Mm. Uh, let's go again, let's go. And that was amazing to see, because I've got that panic of, I know tomorrow I've got a couple of lines, and this and that, and I've been going over and over. It's like, it's all right. Yeah, it's yeah. relaxed. It can, but despite the fact it's this huge right. thing, is if they can get that atmosphere, then that's, yeah. that's there's, what you there's, need. I mean... There's nothing worse than an actor's performance when they're tense and they're nervous and, and you kind of see that. You want people to feel like they're just, they're being them because obviously yeah. the character, unless the character's being tense and nervous, it doesn't work, you know. But like I felt for, I don't know David Beckham, but I remember seeing the King Arthur thing yeah. and seeing the Beckham thing and thinking, okay, I know what's happening here. Guy Ritchie and Bex are mates. Yeah. Bex has said to him, I've always liked to be in, in one of your films. And he said, well, mate, come along. No yeah. worries. We'll yeah, have you do yeah, your yeah. thing. And they set him up as a reveal. Yeah. But a lot of times that reveal moment is intimidating. You've got a camera, you know, like yeah. smashing right into your face. It's intense, man. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who say, man, your job is piss easy. You just wait around and, you know, like you get fed and you get paid a, a ton of money or whatever. And I've always said to him, if you want to come on to any of these projects that I'm doing and, like, have a line or do a walk on, yeah. like, let me know. Zero in the twenty-four years that yeah, I've been working, yeah, yeah, yeah. zero people have followed through and said, "Yeah, yeah I'll do that." Yeah, let yeah. me know. I'd, I'd love to. My parents have come and done like walk-on yeah, parts yeah, just because yeah, they're yeah. on set. But it's uh, it can be a scary place to be, and the yeah. more amount of time that you spend in it, the easier it is. Yeah. Now, if you're on a if you're on a boat in the middle of the Pacific, and the idea is you're going to jump into the Pacific and spend a minute treading water and then jump out. First time you do that, that first minute in the Pacific, you're terrified. Oh, could be sharks, could be yeah. whales. Yeah. Well, you know, what if I sink, all that kind of stuff. And then you get out and you're like, okay, I feel a bit better. You come back day two, you jump in, you go, yeah, there could be sharks, but there wasn't yesterday and I feel all right and it's still the same temperature. By the time you get to the end of that first week, you're like, ah, oh, fuck it, come on, let's do it. Yeah. Have a beer afterwards, yeah. you know. It's just sure about the familiarity. Yeah, 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 completely. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you very much. That's been amazing. I Mate. appreciate your time on such a insanely exciting period of of your life thank you very much you're welcome you've been listening to Scroobish Pits the Scratched and Pieces there we go how good was that I told you he was incredibly honest and open. His Lord of the Rings stories are amazing. His Star Wars stories had me just beyond excited for all that is ahead. Yeah, inspirational dude. I really like the way he thinks. I like his outlook on things. I posted a picture of of this one when I recorded it. So as this goes out, it'll be two Mondays ago, I guess. Um, I posted a picture of it in the Patreon group. You thought I wasn't going to mention Patreon in this episode. I didn't mention it in the intro. It's the first intro since I launched it. But yeah, patreon.com slash Pip. There's only one tier. It's a, do- a dollar a month and that's that's it. You go there. If you can spare a dollar a month, that's great. The way I do it, I, I stop the story and turn it into a Patreon pitch. Uh, the way I do it is it's a dollar a month. You can bid as much as you want or pledge as much as you want. But the way I like to think of it is I only want you to pledge an amount that you wouldn't miss. Do you know what I mean? Like, everything I do is still free. It's still out there. I do some Patreon posts, some some behind-the-scenes stuff. In general, all the content I put out there, it's free. Enjoy it. But if you wouldn't notice a dollar a month, 80p a month, or whatever 
it works out at then then go and pledge that and enough of you do it and it helps to pay for guests it helps to pay for for hotel rooms for travel for all sorts of other stuff but if two dollars a month is something that you wouldn't notice then that's cool sling that in there three dollars a month four dollars if you're someone who wouldn't notice ten dollars a month then go ahead and pledge ten ten dollars a month and it'll be hugely appreciated but if you're someone who would notice ten dollars a month and would be struggling and scrambling for it don't pledge dude you keep that there's more important things in this world but yeah so that's kind of the basis of this a a lot of 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 patreon sites it's like there's tons of tiers and you get different things and that's right for certain things but for me i feel it would be feeling like i'm trying to hard sell you and that's not what i want I'm essentially saying you got some spare change. Well, I've done this podcast every week for free for four years. Sling it my way. In fact, we're up to the four-year anniversary in a week or two, I guess. Um, October 13th, I think it is. Um, Anyway, enough rambling on that. Who's about at the weekend? Because I'm playing the book club. I've got my club night at the book club. Come down, I'll be DJing. Doors at 8 p.m. I mean, doors, it's open from a. I'll be there from 7, but it's 8 p.m. till 2 a.m. And I'll have Dan Lasak DJ and I'll have Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly DJ and it's going to be great all night. Then the next day, I'll be off to see Progress Wrestling at Wembley. So come along to that. I'll be there. You can come and say hello. Um, upcoming guests. I've got J- Josh Weller to come, Desiree Achavan, um, Sage Francis and B. Dolin, Dr. Kate devlin loads of really good people um so come along come along tune in come along do all the things in fact i've never i've not plugged my social media in years i'm on social media at scroobius pipio on instagram and twitter and, f- and facebook.com slash scroobius pip i've really fallen out of love with facebook so i might just long that one off i've realized i have more reach to the 500 or so people on uh, on patreon than to the 95,000 people who have liked my page on Facebook but don't see any of my posts because Facebook's gone weird. Uh, but I'm not moaning about it, I swear. I'm just telling you the the trizoof. Um Thank you for tuning in, guys. I'll be back next week. See you soon. Ta-ta!